0: I feel the need, the need for speed. It's a little extra Lambo. Coming to you live from the South Hill Podcast Studios right here in freezing spokane washington how is everybody doing tonight you may have remembered the intro that little short little clip that i just played right there that comes from the movie top gun and my special guest is a longtime friend of mine um we graduated High school together back back in 1997, Clarkson High School. I have on uh, Mr. Aaron Jelinek. He we caught up. We hadn't seen each other since the day we received our diplomas, and then we went to the senior all nighter. I guess the senior game night, the thing that they do so that people, um, you know, don't get in trouble, don't get drunk, don't die. Um, it was a it was a fun night. We had like a casino night, like a Las Vegas night, and we had games. We had uh, I think poker. We had I mean it was just like it was just like a whole casino royale thing. And then you made money, and then you got to use that money to do a silent auction on on other things. So we kind of talk about that a little bit in the show, but we talk about him going to college afterwards we talk about him joining the air force and and all that entailed and then we talk about him joining the thunderbirds um i i uh put my foot into my mouth and i called it something else but it's the thunderbirds and and uh he was cool about it so you know i'm i'm just a dumb radio guy podcast guy and and this is why i have on awesome guests so he can he he made the correction there um one thing i did not ask him as i'm looking at the very first thing in my note i have a star right next to it and i i might have to just call him back and, and and ask him the question later on but i i did not ask him about survival we've been doing how many shows now about survival, about training of um, you know in worst case scenarios and natural disaster, something like along those lines, right? And I wanted to know about survival training because that interests me. When you are when you're flying in a plane and you have to eject, you kind of have uh, coordinates of where you're at. You know where you're at because you've planned your route and, or your flight pla- uh, pattern. So you kind of have an idea of the of the area and the terrain that you're gonna be over, but then what do you have? What do you have for survival? So I, I should have asked him that. God dang it. I'm I'm kind of bummed about that now. But anyway, we have an awesome conversation. We caught up, kind of went over, you know, how we how we got to where he was at. And God is very good. God opens up doors. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, open up multiple doors. He opens up a door, and it's your choice to walk through it. Um, Aaron and I grew up together in Clarkston, Washington. We played football together, basketball together, baseball together. He ran track. I don't, I don't run. I don't run very well. So he, he, he did that. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we, we had our graduation, and he went to uh, Embry-Riddle down in Arizona and I went to California and that was kind of it. So I will be in in Arizona here in October. So that will be good. I'm going to definitely um, connect with them down there and, and have a beer and, and all that good stuff. So um, you will like the show. It uh, it's, I, I went to school with some amazing people. I know that. And, and this is, he's just, he is one of those guys that, um, you know, very gracious to come on, give me an hour of his time. And, and we talked about, uh, you know, the process. So, very excited. You're going to love the show. Um, hmm, what else do we got coming up here? What do I want to plug? The Hotcast One Radio Podcast. That is coming out March 2nd, episode number one of season two and a half. Because I screwed up on the season's. Didn't really screw up it was just a a uh, click of the buttons wrong <laughs> but we're at season two and a half but episode number one we are starting off uh, Wednesday morning um, it is released will be released then and that's a that's a cool show me and Albert are in studio for this or for that one and and you're you're gonna love it um, we just did the one pack two pack uh, first episode of the year was Last Saturday for that. So check out this Saturday coming along. We've got another we've got another show uh, being released for that as well. One pack, two pack baseball card podcast. Um what else? We got Vegas coming up. I'll be in Vegas here in three weeks, middle of March over my birthday. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Getting out of this freezing cold weather that we're in right now. I I'm sitting in studio right now. The furnace is going. Usually I shut the furnace off because you can kind of hear it in the microphones. And it's still running because I'm I'm like, I'm not shutting this thing off. It'll be what it'll be. But I also have on my thick sweatshirt as well. And I am freezing here in studio. So it is not going to be nice tonight. It is going to be cold. There were no clouds in the sky when I got home from work. So that just... It's going to be so cold tonight. So but there are there are people uh, overseas who are dealing with a lot more than just me being cold so I'm not complaining I'm explaining um, thoughts and prayers go out to those in Ukraine uh, both for the Russian side as well as the, as the Ukrainians that are over there um, neither one of them want to be in the position that they're at but uh, th- that, that's what's, that's what's going on right now. Um, not the show we can we'll definitely get into that next week uh about that and kind of my thoughts about it um next week's show we are going to have on mr freedom stick again so we will definitely talk about that and, and bring that up um the trucker convoy the russian invasion of ukraine kind of is a coincidence. Happening at the same time, and then China with Taiwan. I mean, there's a lot going on right there, and it's it's the timing is so suspect, and it does not sit well in my stomach. But um, that is not this show. I don't I don't want to get into that. Um, so I'm just going to preface that for next week, uh, we will have on Mr. Freedom Stick again. I uh, we got so much love and fanfare from that last show. Go back, check it out, and what a what a guy um again can't use his real name so we will just call him Mr. Freedom Stick so uh, look forward look look to that one as well for next week um any of my shows go back through the catalog pull them up and and listen along leave that review hit that notification bell so you don't miss any sh- any shows and uh, if you can leave a review, leave that five star up in the left top left hand corner of most of the of the players. There's a there's a rating. Leave me that five star rating. Leave a review if you can, and I, I'm greatly appreciated. Thank you for following along with all the shows that I do, and um, hopefully I can I can bring you guys some some entertainment and and I hope you guys listen to that catfish show. That's, I'm still getting comments about that catfish show. So, um, but yeah, we'll go back and listen. Uh, what else do we got here? I'm thinking that's about it. Um, there will be a commercial played later on in the show. It is about a survival class that is going to be offered. So, as you're listening to the show, um, that commercial will kind of cut in. To the show, and I'm going to ex- kind of explain about the the class, the survival class, as well as how to get into it. Seats are limited. So if you are interested at all in this survival class, um, I'll, I'll send you to the tag or I'll send you to the link to get into the registration for that class. So um, look for it. So without further ado, I give to you, Aaron Jelinek.
1: Come on down to Arizona. Where in Arizona are you? Uh, we're in Litchfield Park, which is just west of Phoenix.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. I am. I'm in. Uh, I come down to. Um, I come down to Phoenix, but um, wow, I'm drawing a blank for baseball. Uh, Scottsdale, every yeah, in October. Scottsdale, sure. Gorgeous down there
1: i Have thought about yeah, moving down there sure. a couple
0: different times, actually. <laughs> yeah. Where are you at? Uh, in Spokane. Very cool. You've been up there for a while. Um, I my son was born. I've been here what nine years, maybe ten years now. So move back, move back to the valley, and then and then for work we. Or my son was born actually, and then he had some complications. And, Hmm. and then for work, I just moved, we moved up here and which was a blessing because then he was able to get the care that he needed and see the right doctors. He had to have, I don't know, he had seven or eight different doctors that he had to see. So it was a, it was a blessing that we were up here.
1: Yeah. How's he doing now? He's
0: doing great. Um, he's, he's, he's cost me about a million dollars and, uh, that's with, a good investment, right there. Yeah, right. Um, he was grown born with some growth issues. He had stopped growing about four and a half months in, so oh, we wow. we left him inside mom uh, for another three months because he wasn't regressing. And he was still healthy, good heartbeat, and all that good stuff. He just wasn't growing. So we yeah. induced, brought him out, thinking, "Well, let's get him out, and maybe he'll start growing." And he didn't start growing until he was about two and a half, three.
1: Yeah, so just wow. tiny,
0: tiny. When he was born, he I, I could hold him in one hand, and then I've got a picture. I've got a picture of him uh, sitting inside my baseball glove. So he was wow. he was that small, um, three pounds twelve ounces, and then when you lose that initial weight, he got to uh, two pounds fourteen ounces. So he was tiny, and then and then I've got a picture of him later on in life holding that glove, playing you know playing catch. So it it was it was a pretty cool picture.
1: Nice. Well, good. Glad he's doing well now.
0: Um, so let me let me set the mood here. Last time <laughs> yeah. last time I saw you we had walked across stage they had said Aaron Jelinek, come get your diploma Norman Cruz come get your diploma Kevin Lammerding, come get your diploma and then we all went down to the moose if i remember right that was a long time ago but the moose and had our had our senior you know senior party down there and then what happened where did you go
1: <laughs> you have a better memory than me. Cause I, I, don't know if I remember the moose, but, um, that, that sounds like a, like a good place to start.
0: Well, we had a, we had a, that casino night. Maybe, maybe you didn't I go. I do remember that. I no, I did.
1: And I, I think I want to putter that night actually now that you're bringing me back. So yeah, that was a good night. That was pretty fun.
0: Yeah. They had um, all those different games and stuff and you know, we could win the monopoly money. Um, Went and, Remember that. Yeah. went and played, I don't know, we, we had to put bets down or like a silent yeah. auction almost on, on different things. <laughs> so it was, it, was a, it was a really cool
1: night. That is good. You are bringing me back some memories right now, friend. So thanks for that. Um, let's see. After that, uh, I went down to college. So I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Prescott, Arizona. So that was my first introduction to Arizona, I guess, um, I, uh, joined the air force ROTC program there. So I was majoring in computer science and then joined air force ROTC, um, did that for four years before I joined the air force. Um, and that's, that's what happened after college.
0: Did did you Um, have, did you have ambitions of, of, do you have members of your family that are in the military? Is that what, is that what kind of drew you to the air
1: force? Yeah. I mean, I think that might be a better place to start because you know, me just graduating high school and and running off to college, um, sounds like it was an easy decision and that's just where I was always going to go when that probably wasn't the case. So, um, You know, I think my grandfather, he recently passed away, but he was a a fighter pilot and an instructor in World War II. So I did have peace and that influence all growing up. Although I wasn't the kid that was at the air shows saying I was going to be a pilot from when I was two. So I don't, I don't share that story with a lot of other people that were in the Air Force and, and pilots, but you know, I did have it in my blood. I think it's, When it's in your blood, it's in your blood, and and you want to do that. Um, But for me, actually making that decision and and actually going down to join the Air Force ROTC program, you know, it happened about my junior year of high school when, you know, for for us, Lambo sports were everything, right? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. uh, Yeah. Football, basketball, track, and that's what I wanted to do in college. I didn't know where. I didn't really care, you know, wherever would take me pretty much. And my dad asked me the question one day. He said, what are you going to do for college? And I said, I don't know if I go to Portland State because that's the only school that's shown interest so far and uh, maybe play football or, or walk on somewhere else. And and he's like, okay, uh, are you going to go pro? That was his next question. <laughs> <laughs> and I look, no, no pressure. I look, yeah, yeah. I look at him and I look in the mirror and I'm like, Probably not, you know, and he's like, well, have you thought of anything else? Although football would be fun. My dad played basketball and baseball in college up at Whitworth. So he knew what college sports were like. And I think he was just trying to maybe give me a vector as many parents have to do with their high schoolers. I'm sure I'll find out in another few years. Um, so he sent me up to a college fair up in Spokane and gosh, I think I'll probably get the names wrong, but it was probably me. I think Mandy. Uh, and Emmy Lou that actually wrote up there. I'm not sure if Jeff was with us or not, but you know, you get the day off of school and you get to go up to Spokane to go to a college fair. So we did that. And I just wandered around cause I really had no idea what I wanted to study. I just knew I wanted to play sports. And I saw Embry Riddle's booth. So their marketing does a really good job and shows you, you know, happy people flying airplanes. And I said, well, if I'm not going to play sports, that sounds like the next best, next best thing. Um, so I, I walked back or I drove back to Clarkston and my dad said, Hey, what'd you find today? He said, I said, I think I'm going to go be a pilot. And he said, Oh, where? And I told him about the school. And he said, how much is that going to cost you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is how I tell the story. I don't know if he tells it the same way. Yeah. But, right. You know, got kind of a wake up call there and I said, I, I don't know. Like could back then, you know, it's probably 10% of the cost that it is now, but, um, I said, I think it's going to be, you know, about $100,000, $150,000 with all the flight training. And he said, wow, I said, how are you going to pay for that? You know, I just got like these big googly eyes wondering how I was going to do that. Cause I hadn't thought about that. And
0: meanwhile, dad already had the answer. answer.
1: Yeah, he had the answer. So <laughs> he, he started vectoring me, you know, in, in certain directions and ended up getting a, a few years paid for by the Air Force on the ROTC scholarship. But then of course, and the air force will have it, you know, you got to work hard to, to be a pilot and get that pilot spot. So um, they have you, they want you to have a backup plan. So you have to get a technical degree with that scholarship. So, you know, I had no doubt in my mind that I wanted to be a pilot at that point. And I looked at the degree programs at Embry-Riddle and it was four years for computer science, four and a half for electrical engineering and five for aeronautical engineering So I just went with the shortest program. It's not like I wanted any degree better than the other. So I picked computer science and, uh, it ended up working out, getting me out of there in four years, uh, just as my plan started. So that was, that was good for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how Ember Riddle happened. That's how college happened. That's kind of how I have my dad to thank for that vector in that direction because I don't think I would have joined the Air Force if it wasn't for that. Uh, and then definitely my grandfather for, you know, just having that, that flight love of flight in
0: his blood and, and passing that on down. I, 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 I've, you're telling the story and I'm thinking of my own story as well as I went to college cause I wanted to play baseball and I didn't, I halfway through the first semester, they are like, well, do you have a, do you have a, um, a degree in, in mind yet? Do you know what you want to be, what your major is going to be? I'm like, I don't, I don't, have a clue. I'm like, I had some business classes. I had some criminal justice classes and the criminal justice fit more into my schedule with for, for baseball and then that yeah. ultimately was the the degree that I got I got a, a major in criminal justice with a minor in sociology and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to play baseball but that was that was about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, same. I I think that's normal, right, for going to college and maybe not really knowing what they're going to do and you know I was thankful I always think you know God puts you in places that you're supposed to be and I needed to be at a place where the road was kind of laid out so I had my long-term goal and I knew what I wanted to do and there was no question on the steps I needed to take to get there so that's just what I set out to do and I was fortunate enough to, to be able to kind of accomplish those steps on the way and and make it happen. So, I was very thankful for that not having to wonder too much what I needed to do once I got to college, um, just based on the fact of having the, the long-term goal in the end.
0: You you sound pretty confident in in your decision. Was it, is there anything that you would have changed knowing what you know now to going back to that point when you had the conversation with your dad?
1: You know, short of uh becoming Tom Brady or something like that, you know, but I wasn't a quarterback. So, <laughs> no, you Not were like running, you, you were running under the ball, <laughs> catching the ball. So, no, I, I can't look back. I like so, regret, so thankful for the community and, you know, you just, you find yourself looking back at the, the times. I mean, it's been a while now. We're good. Get, we're, oh, yeah. we're getting up there. Oh, yeah. So, it's been a while back there and, and you look back and you really think of it. You wish you would have enjoyed every moment more, right? Because you're so thankful. I'm so thankful for every experience I've had, every assignment I've had, um, you know, every relationship that I've had along the way. And, you know, sometimes in the moment you take those moments for granted. And when you look back, you're like, man, I wish I was more present and just enjoyed and embraced the memory uh, at that point because looking back on it you know how special it was
0: yeah a friend of mine just had her birthday it was it's her 41st and for you know on facebook i was just gonna you know post a p- couple pictures of us from back then and i only had one and I, and what you just said of in you know embracing the moments more instead of just being there and then trying to get to the next moment i wish i would have done the same thing i wish i would have Enjoyed those moments more, stayed in that moment, but I wish I would have taken more pictures as well, and and had that you know had that memories going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know for us at least, anything that happened prior to iPhone, um, you know, you just kind of lose those pictures after time, which you know some you're happy you're gone, and then others you wish you would have, Um, but. You know, now just, there's thousands of pictures that hard to take almost every day by everybody. Yeah, yeah. And they just end up on your computer, and you never actually go back and, and look at them. And the, uh, uh, definitely having those will be nice someday when we actually have the time to I think go through our photo albums and enjoy them.
0: So you 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 went down to Embry Riddle. How was the? How was your college? life down there i know i went to one two three three different colleges each of them was different and yeah. i wish i would have you know just going back to my question that i asked you before of any regrets or something that you would have done different i love being in mr cable's architecture class i wish that if i could do one thing it would be to go to a, a university that had an architecture program but then as well played baseball, you know, as well. But I, I would have pursued that because I, even still yeah. today, I have that ambition of, of doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you got to go after your, your dreamer, like what, what you love, what makes you happy. Uh, I really think that's the secret of life is just find something that makes you happy and enjoy doing it. And it's a lot tougher to do than it seems, right? Because we always, Get caught of putting food on the table, taking care of your family, or just just trying to make it right. Very much so. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you just have faith and and know that if it feels right, what you're doing, that um, just God will make it right, and He'll you know encourage you along the way and allow you to do what you love, as long as you're you're doing it for His His glory, and you know that's that's really. It's like, Oh, I'm perfect. Yeah, no, I'm far for perfect. So let's get <laughs> yeah, back to we college. Are, we all right? are. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, So let's get back to college. You know, I show up and like, I've never been before, especially by myself. And I don't know what's going to happen. So I show up and you get to the, you know, the nervous point, you're living in the dorms, everybody's kind of trying to size everybody up, especially in the ROTC program, because, um, you know, the, the ROTC program, there's, 220 freshmen or something like that. It's probably more now, but you know, every, it's ever real. Everybody's flying. So everybody's going after a pilot slot, right? The college a pilot slot. And everybody wonders how many slots we're going to get our junior year. And somebody throws out like, well, this year they got 18. You know, so you, you look around and you're like, oh, there's 220 people and only 18 of us are going to actually do what we want to do after four years. And some people looked at it like that. I looked at it like people are going to be pilots because that's what I want to surround myself with. That's, that's who I want to hang out with. And I want to be with the, the stronger swimmers. I, I don't care if I'm the 18th. That's totally fine. Uh, as long as I've been trying my hardest and doing my best and hanging around the people who are going to make me better. Um, that's where I want to start myself from day one. And the, the crazy thing is that first year, I met JR, Joe, and Brandon, who ended up being my roommate off base our junior and senior year, and are still just incredible friends to this day. And we met each other freshman year of college. So JR was the opposing solo for me on the Thunderbirds. He's also a fighter pilot. Tony was a combat controller and now works for the hostage rescue team for the FBI. Joe is just getting ready to retire from the Marines and flew F thirty five and F eighteen, and then Brandon is flying corporate aircraft right now, but he flew KC one thirty five and then retired from the Air Force too. So, wow. you know, of that's those other a, heck of a those group of I surrounded myself. I mean, it's incredible, and I, honestly, that's where I point to say. And it was more than just them, but that's just a, you know, a snapshot of who I had surrounding me in college that helped me really get through that difficult time and, um, you know, put put me on the right path moving forward. So that really helped.
0: A, A saying that I like to go by is you are the sum of your five closest friends.
1: Yeah, and, that's
0: a good one. I mean, in this and in this case that you just listed off, I mean, you're you're in pretty good company right there.
1: Yeah, I, I owe a lot to those guys.
0: What when you found out it was two twenty, you know, uh, two twenty was your number that you gave. I think all the way down to eighteen. Was there like a a self any self doubt, or what did you get yourself into, or anything like that, or was it all right? Game on, let's go.
1: I think me at that point, it was game on, let's go. But insecure 18-year-old, your freshman year of college, of course there's self-doubt. You know, you get a C on in one of your classes, and you're like, oh my gosh, this! I'm never going to get through this. Or, um, you know, something happens in ROTC where you, you don't get the score on the fitness test you were supposed to get, and... Somebody else gets the job they were supposed to get, and it just kind of goes from there. There's always self doubt, but you know, I always just stepped back, relied, and had faith, and, and knew that you know I, I ended up where I'm supposed to be, regardless of what that was. It doesn't mean it didn't come with any disappointment and doubt. but that's that's part of life. Everybody has that. Um, it's just having the faith to get through it, knowing there's going to be something on the other side like waves right the undulation you got you got your ups you got your downs and as long as you can have the self-awareness that downs are always going to come back up and you have something to look forward to
0: you were always close to your parents as well were they still close while you were in college or come down and see you or
1: how, how did that go oh absolutely yeah they're we're, we've been close my whole life so i've been super fortunate with that in fact now they're Snowbirding down here about two blocks away. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, yeah, great to have them down here a few months out of the year. Um, family's always been really big with me, and I'm, I'm super blessed with that. So they definitely have helped me along the way parents, grandparents, brother, sister, cousins, uh, now my wife and my kids, and all my extended family to you. They just um, they helped get me along for sure.
0: <laughs> and your uh, brother is doing oh he worked on my knee um he did yeah. I, I was trying to think uh, I'm drawing a blanket what he does remind me what he does
1: <laughs> he's an orthopedic surgeon
0: there we go yeah he yeah. He, he worked on my knee I, I blew the patella tendon my kneecap was halfway up my halfway up my uh, quad and and he comes walking <laughs> in I'm like hey I know you <laughs>
1: Well, that's good. I hear he's a pretty good doctor, so I think you're in good hands.
0: Yeah. No, I've, I haven't had any problems since. The other knee, you know, catching, and I, I still catch now, and the other knee is the one that's giving me problems. But maybe I'll go see him again. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be ready for you. So you you are in this program, um, getting down to the you, – you end up graduating. I'm kind of seeing, you know – dumb guy that doesn't really know what's going on I'm, I'm seeing a, a top gun type thing where you guys are all sitting in in the in the classroom there you get your your degree when you're done do you get orders with that how, how do how do you how do you then get into the air force
1: uh, so you graduate the RITC program you already know you've your junior year you find out what career field you're going to go do uh, so knew I was going to pilot training You get orders and then a date where you need to report. Um, so once you get those orders, some people at that point, over 20 years ago now, went straight to pilot training. Uh, and some people were delayed a little bit just with the backlog in number of training slots. And, and I was one of those. So I was going to a base that train multiple nations. So the Shepard air force base in Wichita falls and cha- trained a, a whole bunch of different nations. Um, and you flew T 37s and T 38s at that point. And you're basically on a fighter or bomber track in that program. That's what it was tailored towards. So in order to go to that pilot training base, there was a backlog and I had to wait about a year where I went to pilot training. So, my first assignment was actually at Fairchild up in Spokane. Okay. Yeah. So they normally assign you somewhere close to your home of record, which for me was Clarkson. So the closest base there is Fairchild. So my first assignment was up to Fairchild and I worked in the 93rd air refueling squadron up there for a year as a executive officer and a scheduler. I was trying
0: to, Trying, i I know Glenn Bowie is up there now, but I don't know how long I don't know how long that he's been up there yeah um, yeah
1: he's probably
0: he's been up there forever, <laughs> but I don't know if it was that early though
1: yeah and I honestly, I probably wouldn't remember a lot of people I do remember quite a few people the ones that I deployed with and whatnot but you know you can imagine the timeline there um just to put it in perspective, was I joined in May of 2001. So that's when I graduated college and joined the Air Force. So I was a scheduler and exec in in that squadron for about five months, four or five months, when September 11th hit. Um, So that, essentially, Afghanistan, and September 11th, shaped my whole career because the day we pulled out of Afghanistan was of mine in the air force at the end of august in 2021 so uh, it was it definitely shaped my entire career and when i was on casual status after september 11th i kicked off working essentially around the clock with the bombers over to guam uh, with the air bridge from the tankers that were up at fairchild and then my squadron commander called me and said listen when you go to pilot training told him, you know, it wasn't for another six months or so. And he said, well, we're deploying and I'm taking you with me. And, you know, at that point, you remember what it was like. Everybody was just raring to go Mm -hmm. because we just got attacked on our homeland and and that's not okay. So I said, yeah, whatever you need, sir. We ended up um, going on what we call alert, just ready for the call essentially to deploy. And I was pretty green, if you will. I was brand new to the Air Force, and and not sure what I was getting myself into, but definitely ready to serve. I never forget when we were on the on alert for probably three or four days, just kind of waiting. So that's you know you have a bunch of anxiety, kind of wondering hey, what where are we going, what are we going to do, because nobody knew. And I remember my squadron commander's wife called me up, and she's like, "You like mayonnaise or mustard on your turkey sandwich?" And I go mayonnaise and she goes okay I'm going to make you one you'll probably be getting a call from Mike soon and I'm like this is it so I started packing and everything like that and I was like I was all excited adrenaline was going and get my bags throw them in the car ready to go and I drive I was living in the valley because that's where my grandparents live I drive halfway to Fairchild after I got the call and I forgot my military ID oh no (laughs) oh yeah I'm like, oh, man, they're going to kick me out of the Air Force the first year I'm in it. So I turn around, call my grandparents. And, you know, you can imagine the phone call. like, as soon as My grandpa picked up the phone. I'm like, go to my apartment, get my ID. It's on the kitchen counter. Start driving towards Fairchild and I'll meet you on the way. And they did. It's like they ran up to Bowdish, whatever apartments I was living in. Started driving west. I think it was on Bowdish. And or Broadway, I think it was on Broadway. And essentially, like, I'm waving my arms. They love telling this story. Waving my arms out of my car, um, flagged them down. They pulled over, probably saved me about 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, my grandpa handed me my ID. I gave him a hug uh, and then went and got on a a KC-135 and deployed for about three or four months. So that was a, a memory I'll always have for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good one of that time period, at least. Yeah, I was I was in uh, Jamestown, North Dakota. Um, I remember watching Sports Center, and the special alert came across, and for the rest of the day, we just stood there. You know, we sat there just watching the TV, just in in and, awe. And yeah. then and then, just like you had said, those juices of all right. Well, we just got attacked. Let's you know it's let's go get them. You know, let's go fight. You know, what are we? Are we? getting drafted what are we doing here and you know and that those those conversations started coming across as well of of you know are are we gonna need more people are we all fighting what are we doing so thank you for your service i want i want to i want to tell you that right now um i enlisted in the navy after college and was was never signed and my family is you know cousin cousins um, I've got a couple, my granddad fought in world war two as well. A couple uncles, I, they all served and I kind of felt gypped that I didn't. And I you know, went into the Navy and then somebody says, well, why don't you just go to the air force after that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> but thank you for your service. I, 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 my family appreciates you and, and everything that you did. So, um, oh, I wish I would have well. been able to, uh, to do that as well. but I, I don't know why I didn't, go another route if when the Navy said that they didn't want me. So
1: (laughs) no regrets, man, no regrets.
0: What's, what's it like, what's it like getting on that plane? And so you got, you know, you got your ID from your grandpa and and then you got on the plane to head (laughs) over there. What's going through your head?
1: I don't know. I think it's just a, And I think seven or eight tankers kind of took off one after the other. And, you know, we got a briefing, briefing just told us like what to expect on the plane. and didn't tell you where you were going. So you literally get on this KC 135, the tanker in the back and the plane takes off in the middle of the night. I think it was like two in the morning or something like that. And you don't know how long the flight is. You don't know when you're going to land. You just, sit there and wait. I remember I was, I was wearing a flight suit. They let me wear a flight suit, a desert flight suit. Cause I was going to pilot training. I guess that's why they were letting me. And I was back there with, you know, probably 60 or 70 airmen and flight engineer at the time. And the boom operator comes back and he says, Hey, Aaron, you want to come up to the cockpit? And I was like, heck yeah. Yeah. Check this out. Yeah. So he, he pulls me up to the cockpit and your know, roommate and another guy who flies for FedEx. You know, it's flying a plane over. And um, we were looking at the northern lights because we took off out of Spokane and we we're pretty much over uh, northern Canada, kind of flying our way over to the east. And he's like, I want to check out the northern lights. You got some pictures and stuff. And And he's like, you want to know where we're going? I'm like, of course I want to know where we're going. Because, you know, the pilots know where we're going, but they're just not allowed to tell anybody. So they open up his map. He's got like this basically old school moving map, the Falcon V 1.0 or something like that. And it shows, you know, our flight path and where we're going to end up, kind of like you see on airliners today. It shows us going to England. I'm like, England? They're like yeah, I'm like, sweet, that sounds like a pretty good deployment, uh, but I thought I was going to the Middle East, and uh, he's like, well, that might be later, because we're only there for 48 hours, so we ended up landing in England, so anxiety kind of curbed at that point, and we landed in England, uh, went uh, to the pub, had a beer with all the crew and everybody, and, and again, the same thing, you know, we're getting on the plane in the middle of the night, but we're going with the pilot, and the same thing happened, and he brings me up there after about an hour and a half, and kind of points at the location we're going, and, and I was like, "All right, yeah, that's more like it. That's it." So uh, we ended up going on that deployment to Oman, which is on the southeast corner of the peninsula there, and we were flying. Uh, ended up flying missions for Operation Enduring Freedom out of out of Oman. Man.
0: I don't know where my cousin went. I know he did. He did two tours in saudi arabia itself and then one in iraq but i don't he's never talked about where he went i don't know if he can or not i I would yeah probably not so we don't know (laughs) but uh he ended up doing um presidential detail down in south africa or northern um south africa and lived like a king down there
1: Wow. yeah we did uh we did not live like kings that's for sure so We got there, and there was like 250 or 300 people total in the deployment, and uh, we landed. There was basically no housing for that many people, but there was a whole bunch of tents that had been left there, so we ended up staying in airplane hangars on cots for a week or two, and then Red Horse, which is the kind of forward civil engineers for the Air Force were there helping kind of sort through all the tents and supplies we had. And we get to help them all build tent city. And as soon as you built your tent, you got to move in. So that was the motivation there to get out and help them. So everybody did that. But when you got there, you were like ready to go to war, but you're just waiting, right? You're just forward deployed. So this army was there, they would serve us breakfast every morning, which was pretty awesome. I got to like the, the runny eggs and the boiled tomatoes and the beans. Um, the English breakfast, and, and then we'd eat MREs the rest of the time. And you could just, you could go for a run around the base or if you want. I'm sure the leadership at that time was obviously in meetings and trying to figure out what we were going to do. But we were all just waiting. So, you know, we moved into our tent, stayed there for a few nights. And then I was the scheduler. So the only scheduler. So the, the mission would come in about 11 o'clock at night. So I would usually get up around. 9: thirty or 10 um, take a shower, go to work and you just waited and if there was no mission then you, know, you just go read or, or do whatever for 10 hours and finally one night we got a mission and you know the mission was essentially one of our tankers and you know in in a, in a simple terms it said fly over Afghanistan and let us know if you get shot at <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, a tanker. Just, just... And I was a scheduler. I got, I got to pick for the crew. I you know, was a young lieutenant. So I go out there, I, and they're like, okay, that yeah, sounds good. So they take off on their route, you know, just like an airliner, and they come back, and like, no, we didn't get shot at. So the you whole know, war kicks off. And, uh, you know, I attribute it to the tanker. I'm sure it's much more than that. There was a lot more going on, but, you know, the story goes that uh, those guys were responsible for starting the whole war. So and it was essentially, you know, I think in the Air Force air force perspective, strategically, you know, if you can have your high-value assets over country, that's a much different game plan than if you have to have them out over the water. I, mean, I think Afghanistan's a landlocked country, but not to get into that stuff, it was just, it was a fun experience, you know. So from then, it was 12- to 14-hour days every single day, hard getting those missions going. And we were there till through about December and then ended up flying home. And uh, yeah, coming home was awesome. They're all out there to meet us. And obviously we know how long the war went on after that, mm-hmm. but you know, I was at home kind of doing other stuff for a while, going to pilot training and, and um, getting checked out in the, in the 16 after that. So that's, that's kind of my initial story on operation during freedom, the deployment and everything before I went to pilot training.
0: What was it like your first time up in the air?
1: Oh, what a what a blast! You know, I had flown before, just not fighters. I mean, it was just so regimented. You don't you don't really have to know anything about flying. They'll make you an Air Force pilot from you know, barely being able to drive. It's just the the program is that good. So taking off for the first time in a jet was you know just amazing. You got an instructor next to you, so there's that kind of comfort. That um, if you screw anything up too bad, he'll save your life. Hopefully, and <laughs> hopefully. then you know, yeah, hopefully you just want to do your best, right? So just, it's nonstop work, and just, you're studying, or you're flying, or you're sleeping, or you're eating. Like that is it for the year of pilot training. And you get, you get some R and R here and there, but you have to be ready for every single flight. And sometimes you fly twice a day. You'll have academics. You have simulators, and it's just it's nonstop. So there's a regimented program and they make you the pilot they want you to be. And it's, it's fun at the same time. You know, as I'm sure, you know, with sports, like probably the best teams you've been on. are The ones that just work the hardest and you look back and you're like, wow, I worked my tail off that year or we just worked so hard that we got so much better. And we had so much fun because of that. It's a high performing team that actually worked hard are the ones that end up having the most fun. It's not the ones that are goofing and, and joking the whole time um, that are actually having the most fun. I,
0: I was, I'm a, I'm a big clubhouse guy. You know, I want to know, mm-hmm. you know, the, we've had different uh, pro athletes on, you know, and I, it, my question is what, what are the clubhouses like? And do you guys fool around a lot? I know you put in the work, but then is everybody just kind of doing their own thing or, you know, what is it? So when you were in, in college, and you're all, you know, it's 220 people down to 18 in this program. Are you guys all gelling? And then once you're doing your, you know, where you're at right now in, in your story, is it different? Is it intense? Are you guys still bonding and gelling together? What, what's that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think you have to do that, right? You have to get to know somebody on the personal level, not just the professional level, to truly take your relationship to the next level. Um, so, you know, we always joke in the fighter pilot community is, you know, decisions are made around, around a bar on a bar napkin, right? That you're just coming up with good ideas, talking to people. And really, even if it's talking about work, cause let's face it, that's all we really know how to talk about anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that you're, you're still talking about work, but it's in a social setting and you're having fun and you know, you're coming up with great ideas. Um, hopefully you're writing them down um, so you can make them happen the next day. But yeah, that's, it's definitely important to have the social as well as the, the professional network there.
0: At this point, those, those other five guys that you were talking about earlier, are you still able to keep in contact with them or do you? We do.
1: Yeah, we absolutely do. We, we have to, you know, I'd say some more than others, but, those are the type of friends everybody's got them. I'm, I'm just I'm just fortunate to still have that crew. I don't talk to them for a year, you know, it's like picked up from the last conversation we've had, you know, and there's nothing to it. It's, there's no awkwardness. There's no, what are you doing with your life? X, Y, Z, you just pick up where you left off. Cause you know, you know where they're at, you know who they are. Um, and, and there's no get to know each other again, which is awesome. So that, that's the kind of relationship that we have, especially with that group.
0: How long, how long did you fly for? And then you became a part of the blue angels. How, how long, I don't know, maybe I'm asking that question wrong. How long were you in the air force before joining the blue angels, which I know they're a part of the air force as well,
1: but I think, you know what I mean? All right, Lambo. I know people are going to listen to this. So, it's the Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds. Join the Thunderbirds. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. The th- those other guys are another demonstration team. They're okay. really good. But uh, that's the other guys. That's the Navy. And I know you're partial to the Navy. Uh, just, <laughs> no, just a scotch. Uh, I'm just kidding. The hard time, man. So, yeah, know I was... I flew for... Let's see. I joined the Thunderbirds in 2009. So... I was through pilot training in 2003. So I flew fighters F-16s for about six years before uh, joining the Thunderbirds.
0: Did you pursue that or did they pursue you? And then Um, what kind of, what kind of qualifications are they looking for when, when, you know, assembling their, their team?
1: Yeah. So at that point, I, wanted to do is go to weapon school, which is essentially the the uh, air force's equivalent of the navy's top gun, right? Um, for people that look at it like that, like you go to the best of the best coming together to be the best fighter pilots and instructors they can be. They want to be, you know, humble, approachable, incredible, and just out into the air force and and make better fighter pilots. So that's where you go. That's where you want to go if you're the best. And my whole career flying F-16s, that's what I wanted to do. And it just didn't work out. You know, it's that, it's that whole redirection. Um, some people look at me and they're like, everything's gone your way your entire life. Like you've never dealt with it adversity. <laughs> and I just laugh because I go, no, I just have faith. And like, if I get pushed one direction or another, I just try to find the good in that and know that some other opportunity and door is going to open. Um, and, and try to be thankful for that. So and it's not always easy. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you're like, what the heck? Uh, and this was one of those because I'd worked really hard and, you know, thought I was in line to go. And we had moved to Phoenix. I was an instructor here. And, you know, there's all kinds of instructors because it's, it's an FTU. So when I showed up here, I kind of was at the bottom of the line. And there's other people that have been waiting to go longer than me. And not only that, but when I took the assignment here, they, they took the year group and they basically said, we're not taking anybody older than this. So just from my move from Korea to Luke, I'd all, already become the old guy. <laughs> yeah. And the I had chopped off a year, you know, I got a year older. So with that transition, I was, I was cool to go. And, and I remember one of my good friends of this day, um, Justin, you know, he was a weapons officer back at, at school and, and he was actually my weapons officer in the squadron at that time. And so he was reviewing all the weapons officer packages, the applications, if you will. And he comes up to me in the scheduling office and he hands me my packet and he goes, he goes, sorry, dude, you're too old now. And, you know, this is something I've been trying for my whole life. Right. So that's, that's good empathy right there. <laughs> right? So like, you're Sorry. Figure something else out. Um, and so that was a huge letdown for me. I was like, ah, man, I'm, I'm not going to achieve a goal that I set for a long time. And it was hard. I was, was a tough spot. So I remember, man, I had just started dating Carrie at that point. And, you know, we're married now almost for 13 years, which is awesome. Um, but she was the one that really started through that. she's like, like know, yeah, you don't want to go there anyway. There's there's better stuff on the other side. We'll we'll figure something else out. I'm like okay, like that sounds good. And I was dating her. We were having a great time. What was next? I didn't know. I was just going to enjoy being an instructor in Phoenix and and uh, you know dating my soon to be wife. And I'm in scheduling. I'm the chief of scheduling at that point for the. 61st Fighter Squadron and an email comes across the desk. You get this email, it happens every year, right? Go, for those interested in applying for the United States Air Force Air Demonstration Squadron, the Thunderbirds, uh, these are the positions we're hiring for this year. And, you know, I'm just I've got time to read it and I'm like, wow, I actually meet those requirements now. And I've never looked at this before. Um, so I go home and I talk to Terry. I'm like, hey. She's "Like to, to like, yes, yeah, Thunderbird." And I'm like, "Yeah." And, you know, she had to think about it for a while. She's like, "If that's what you want to do." And you know, I had to think about it for a while, and then I saw what I. This is you know we're we're all inherently selfish and inherently lazy, right? So I see what I have to do just to apply to the team, right? I have to dress in my service full-length photo. I have to get my last five performance reports. I have to get all these recommendation letters, basically put together this huge application package. I was like, yeah, that sounds like too much work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at, honey. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I'm totally comfortable where I'm at. I mean, that sounds like a lot more effort than I want to put in right now. And I think it was two months later. I just didn't even mention it again, right? And 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 I was laying down. She's like, how's that uh, application coming along? And I was like, what? What? that? Is it an application? And she's like, yeah. I said, I decided not to do that. She's like, what are you talking about? I was getting excited. And I'm like, oh, no. So like, you need to do it. Just that's supposed to happen. It won't happen. And if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. But if you don't apply, you're closing the door. You don't know if you should be closing or not. And, you know, I, I live by that to this day, too. I'm like, don't close any doors that you don't have to close. So I like uh, rushed now to get all the applications, all the stuff I didn't want to do, and ended up submitting it the last day that you could submit an application. And, you know, I submitted it. As okay. I'm like, don't worry, Dave. Like. Nobody gets picked up the first year. We're going to be fine. We'll be able to get married, hang out in Phoenix for a while, and then maybe we'll try again next year if we want to. And so we had uh, been engaged well, Your application
0: sitting on top of the pile, though. It's the first one they're going to look at.
1: <laughs> That's right, I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're engaged at this point. The applications go through the review process with the whole team. And, uh, and then I... I remember getting a call. I was on a run, I think around the base and it was my, my commander at the time. He was like, Hey, you made the semifinals for this Thunderbird. I'm like, okay. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I'll figure it out. So I call everybody and essentially like the next step. So applications, they go through everybody and then the their semifinals, they have somewhere between 10 and 15 people probably come out, like meet the team, um, see how they handle themselves on the road. And uh, just get to know everybody. That then gets cut down to six. This whole process takes maybe three to five months. So (laughs) I remember we had bought a house that we were going to move into. And we're we're literally closed on the house that day. And we're painting. And uh, my commander calls me up and like, hey, congratulations, you made the final. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Because... I knew the other guys that made the finals and I was like, I think there's a pretty good shot that I could be like one of the final three. And I look at Terry. She's like, what are you, what are you, who is that? I'm like, uh, I made the final. And she's like, Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. And I'm like, I don't think she understands that we're leaving in October, a month after we get married. If you know, we end up getting picked up for the team and, that's what ended up happening. You know, we go out for finals. We get to fly with them, which was a cool experience. And after going through that whole process and really getting to know the team and the mission and what they do, you know, more than ever. So I was so thankful and just over the moon when I got picked up and and you know they said I got to be a solo, the most fun you could possibly have flying a, a jet on the team and. And it was just, for us, was just fast because, no kidding, it was, oh, we just bought a house. What do we do with the house? So we have to rent that out. I have to close out my time here at Luke. We, oh, by the way, get married, go on a honeymoon, come back, move to Vegas. And then you can imagine it's not a slow pace when you show up to the Thunderbirds because they have to train you up, kick the old guys out. Team get them on the road for the next year, fully qualified, so the crowd doesn't know anything happened. Right? Anything happened. Gotcha. So that was that was a whirlwind, and that's kind of how the whole process went down there.
0: How long, or how how much practice goes in? How many hours of flying go into getting yourself prepared for your shows?
1: So. I think the upgrade for the solos was 65 flights, which is probably around, you know, 85 hours or something like that, 70 hours maybe. Um, total flight time. Now it's just a flight. Now you have all the study and it goes up to the briefs, the debriefs, um, the ground and all that. But bottom line, it's about the training season for the, the team is normally like November, to march about um and that's when you have the new team come in train them all up and and get them out on the road for the next season that's about how much time it takes but then every single show you fly you're still learning and getting better the whole time it's just you're learning and getting better at like just such a micro level that the crowd can't really tell the difference anyway (laughs) you're just trying to get the it's it's just the next level of, you know, how critical you're being of yourself and your formations at that point.
0: How did something like that ever start? Was it just to show, show off the talents of the pilots or how, where, how does that, how did it start?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the Thunderbirds started back in the right after world war two. So they were actually at Luke air force base first. And then, you know, they end up moving to Nellis. And you know, everything starts it's like, hey, this is this is a good idea. Let's do this. And then, at that point, people start liking it. It starts to be one of the major recruiting tools for the Air Force, and you know the history just continues on from there. And it really it's not about the flying, right? And like, oh, what a great assignment to fly us awesome. That's that's not what it's all about. It's great to see the whole production is amazing from the ground personnel that put it on to the, the fans that are enjoying it on the crowd and just the the entire mission of the Thunderbirds is is just really really cool to see kind of from start to finish and we were super fortunate to be able to take part in that for a couple of years
0: were you still holding out hope to be uh an instructor at the flight school were you still waiting for that phone call or was, did you know that this was (laughs) going to be it?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I do. I got over that pretty quick to tell you the truth. (laughs) Yeah. I got over that pretty quick. So so that was just kind of in the moment, right. On what am I going to do with my life? That was definitely one of the times where uh, I felt like I didn't achieve one of my goals and I had to wait for something better to come along. And yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. If you told me, Hey, if you had a decision to make back in 2009, you wanted to go to weapon school or go join the Thunderbirds, it wouldn't even be close. I'd join the Thunderbirds every day of the week.
0: And then did you do that up until the time you were retired?
1: No. Well, it's only a, it's a three-year assignment, but you do two demonstration seasons, so it's two show seasons. You just have a few months on the front and a few months on the back, um, learning how to fly the show and then training your replacement.
0: Eventbrite, Saturday, March 12th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific. Survive with the Basics, the virtual workshop brought to you by none other than Mr. Freedom Sick himself. Spots are limited if you want to learn about the required equipment and the knowledge for survival, building a proper survival mindset, and how to build an effective EAP, which is your emergency action plan. Tickets are on sale now. You can find the link on TikTok and Instagram at, at Mr. Freedom Stick 5.0 or at Mr. Freedom Branch. Get your tickets now. What were you doing when
1: you retired? When I, um, so it's really just an assignment. So after my time with the Thunderbirds, then my next assignment was actually a non-flying assignment. So I went to uh, work as a defense fellow. So it was part of the uh, legislative fellowship. And that was a pretty cool program. You, you go to a course at Georgetown, get a certificate in uh, legislative studies. And that, that takes about six months. And then uh, you go work on Capitol Hill for a year. I was fortunate enough to work for Senator Mark Begich at just a time from Alaska. Okay. And it was basically just a, uh, an assistant in his office working for him, uh, kind of on loan from the Air Force for a year to see how the legislative branch works and how a senator's office works and, and how the Hill works for that matter. And you get to see a lot of the military side as well. So you see how the Hill works with the Pentagon across the river, they call it, and how those conversations happen. So that was definitely eye-opening. Uh, and I, I took a lot away from that assignment, but that was only a year and a half away out of the jet. And then we ended up coming back to Phoenix at that point, back to the F 16 ship role at this point. Um, so we, we ended up being a director of operations, which is kind of the number two in the squadron, if you will, uh, working for the commander. And that was an F-16, only ended up flying the F-16 for about another year before I transitioned to the F-35 and then flew the F-35 the rest of my career. So from December of 2014 through September of 2021, got to uh, fly the F-35 and get to know that plane kind of from its infancy uh, and watch that program grow and get to train and instruct and and lead and, and command airmen for those seven years. Fortunately, all back here in Phoenix, which was uh, great for the family.
0: Do you have a cool story or a a cool memory from any of your flights that you've taken?
1: <laughs> oh, i a lot. Well, so many. Like it's, that's tough to you know ask a pilot a, one story in twenty <laughs> years. Uh. <laughs> It's like, it's like yeah, asking a the baseball go.
0: player, what do you think your best home run was? Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, so many, you know, just, um, you know, there are always a lot of people ask me, like, what's the favorite part of flying? And, you know, you could say, oh, dropping bombs or flying upside down over Navy Pier in Chicago at 150 feet with sailboats flying by and, I was in Wrigley Field making the pitcher step off the mound. Um, you know, th- there's some really cool just experience like flying that you'll, you'll never have anywhere else. Right, That experience you'll never get anywhere else. But, you know, the one thing I always go back to is, um, you know, flying across the ocean. And we got to do that when we deployed to Iraq uh, when I was in F-16 in 2006. And you've got an undercast, right? So that means there's basically clouds between where you're at and the ocean. It's like a sea of clouds. So you know where you are based on the map and the navigational aids and things like that. But all it looks like below you is clouds, and above you, you have blue sky. And you know you're you're following the tanker, and you're just kind of cruising along getting gas for know, nine hours to 12 hours. So you got a lot of time to think. Um, and, you know, you try to keep a light on the radio and somebody tells jokes or you play trivial pursuit or, or things like that. because You don't want anybody falling asleep. And, and the, the coolest thing about that is when you have that blue sky over the, the white clouds, you can have this effect and it's called the pilot's halo. And basically where the, the sun reflects off your jet onto the clouds and there's a rainbow around kind of like a prism around your silhouette of your jet. And it almost circles it and encompasses the whole thing and and that's called the pilot halo. And it, it only happens you know every so often that you get those perfect conditions. And that is probably my favorite experience is when I was flying over to Iraq and he had that undercast and, you know, all our jets have that pile of tail around them. Just kind of knowing that uh, it's kind of like a big hug, if you will, just knowing that God's got your back and you're going to be okay. That that so, sounds that, that amazing. <laughs> yeah That was pretty surreal. I'll tell you that much. And, and uh, yeah, that, I'll have to go back to that.
0: I, I know that I have, I have several friends who are our Cubs fans that listen to the show so now you're gonna have to tell the Wrigley Field story. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> yeah, between Wrigley Field, who always has a game going on during uh, the uh, Chicago Air Show, and uh, you know, flying the fellow's got to fly behind the line we call it, right? Because the show's out over the lake. Um, so we were essentially flying over downtown, and there's there's people on top of the Willis Tower and and all the different towers in Chicago, and you're below the tower buzzing through downtown uh with people looking down at you pumping their fists and then you're repositioning on the line um flipping upside down looking at people in boats who are pumping their fists and that goes on for 30 minutes so that that is definitely a show i think anybody who's flown will tell you is pretty awesome <laughs> but yeah for those at wrigley field i apologize uh, if it's too loud during that time
0: You just, so you just fly over the top and the the pitcher had to step off the, off the rubber. Is that what, is that what happened?
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's right. Time slows down while you're going up there. If you're going 550 knots or not.
0: When you, you have what, two kids right now?
1: Yeah. Carter is eight going on nine and Caroline just turned six.
0: Okay. Um, do they ever talk to you? Do they ever ask questions? Do they, are they going to follow in your footsteps? Where are they at in all of this now of, of your stories and now that you're able to be home and, and all that, where, what are they asking
1: you? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's funny when you look back at, at my life, when Carter was born in Washington, DC, you know, most of my traveling was behind me. Um, it was six months when we moved here to Phoenix and we've been here ever since. So yeah, they lived in two houses, but um, they've lived in Phoenix the whole time. So you so, haven't missed
0: anything of theirs then is what you're saying.
1: Not much. Okay. I've been so fortunate with that. And that's uh no, that was definitely one of our priorities on, and the reasons we made the decision we did to, to stay in and, and keep flying and then end up retiring was, really based on the family we're so blessed here with you know my mom and dad snowboard snowboarding like two blocks away my in-laws live literally across the wash in another cul-de-sac so caroline can run over there whenever she wants to see nana and then my wife's twin sister and her husband um we were very close with and they have two boys about the same age or about a quarter mile up the road walking distance for everybody so Um, that's what we weren't willing to leave and we've just been blessed with. And we try to thank, um, thank the Lord for every day that that we have each other. And we love that.
0: I have, uh, thought several times, my, my best friend as well. Um, we've thought about moving down to Arizona. I am a white ginger who doesn't do that well in the heat. How did you deal with the heat? down there in Arizona when you, when you first went down.
1: It, it takes some getting used to, but, um, and t- I tell you what, it's, it's kind of opposite from the Northwest, you know, Northwest, like in the winter it gets cold and it's dark and you, know, you don't really see your neighbors too much. And then the sun comes out in the spring and the summer and you're like, Hey neighbor, how's it going? Um, good to see you. Glad you made another winter. It's opposite here in Arizona. So in Arizona, like the summer, everybody's side or in their backyard in their pool you don't really see anybody else and then you know when the heat breaks in about october you come outside to the the neighborhood in the cul-de-sac and like hey neighbor how's it going glad glad you survived another summer so you you get used to it you know there's reason people move to phoenix in the first place was because they ended up air conditioning right because we wouldn't be here without it although a lot of people did live here without it before and not only that but they passed the law where you could include the price of an air conditioner in your mortgage the boom took off and Phoenix started growing like crazy after that so um, to couple that with your were stationed here in World War II they go back to their you know northern tiers and figure out they don't like to shovel snow anymore and move back here all those things kind of wound up together for the boom and in phoenix and maricopa county so we're thankful for air conditioning we're thankful for swimming pools and i would say that's what helps us get through our summers down here
0: my my grandparents they they summer or not summer they wintered down in mesa you know, we were yeah. we're from Montana originally, so them not wanting to shovel snow anymore—that's why they went down there. They were they were done with the Montana winters.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. We uh, we get a lot of people down here doing that, so it's a good place to be. But I do miss the Northwest. That'll always be home to me. So anytime I can get up there, I really enjoy it.
0: When's the last time you've been up?
1: I knew you were going to ask me that question, and uh, gosh. And I'm trying to I even remember now. I don't remember now. seeing you at the reunion. I, I was not at the <laughs> reunion, you know. I reached out, I guess, Cammy's busy planning the 25th. That's what so I heard. He That's said, what I heard. You better be there. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there. Just you know, give me more than a month's notice. And, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, I think I was up there last year. I, I want to say I, I don't know exactly when I, was, you know, I think it's see my uh my brother and, and his family so um yeah i think it was last year you know with covid the time just runs together do you, do you really know what last year or the year before was i just can't yeah, figure it no, out.
0: exactly yeah well it's, that's kind of how this all started too the, the podcast i have i have three different podcasts one of them's a sports one um it, and it was just supposed to be for our baseball league here in town. I would it was just to do during yeah. COVID, talk about the teams, kind of, you know, do like a do like a show about the individual players, blah blah blah. It was supposed to be nothing. And then we started getting in pros and then friends of friends and all this stuff. So it's it's grown to be a little bit more. And then now I do this one and then but I do a baseball card one with my son.
1: And he oh, nice. absolutely awesome, loves it. That's so cool. So it's great to have something you can share with your kids that they're passionate about. That's that's just great. So good for you. I'm proud of you, man.
0: Yeah, he uh he's he's a baseball kid through and through. I I barely I don't really have to show him anything because he of course he already knows everything though, right? But he's just a natural, just a natural and him coming through the growth issues that he's had to where he's at now, I'm I'm just amazed at him. That's
1: awesome. Well, good for you. Good for him. Happy happy to hear that.
0: So, what's what is next for you then?
1: You enjoy (laughs) enjoy
0: being home, being dad. What's next? Yeah,
1: I love that. Um, Definitely love spending time with my kids. And I, we started a real estate brokerage, so we started getting into real estate uh, two or three years before I retired, and just had a passion for it. We love doing it together. So, you know, that's what we're doing now and just helping people learn more about the real estate market, real estate investments in and around Maricopa County. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing day in and day out.
0: Well, if we move down there, I do know who to hit up.
1: All right. You got it, man. <laughs> Give us a call.
0: <laughs> no, uh, no, no Senate running for you since you spent the year and a half over in Washington, D.C.?
1: That's funny for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a completely different ball game. That is... That's for sure.
1: It is 100%.
0: Well, I appreciate you calling coming onto the show. Um, I don't know. uh, I don't know what, what you expected it to to be, but uh, it was more, I just wanted to kind of catch up with you. And, you know, the last time I saw you, we were, we were being handed diplomas and then, and then I went down to California, (laughs) I think a week after that or something. So I don't know who left first, you or me, but that was the last time I saw you.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, it's great catching up with you. You know, I've definitely followed you and and heard stories here and there. So, congratulations uh, to you and and everything you're doing now. And thanks for having me on. Um, You know, it's just – it goes to show. We just started talking about this a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. And it was – we just – we haven't made it happen, and I'm sorry for that. You know, it, it's been too long, but I think it happened when it when it needed to happen. I have faith in that, so I'm glad we finally got the conversation to go. But that's just one other lesson, you know, just be intentional about everything. We just got to put something on the calendar, and I think Terry and I have learned that more than anything. That if we don't ink it in and put it on the calendar, it probably won't happen. So I was so thankful when you reached out this week and said, "What do you think about Thursday at 6? Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Boom. So I didn't put it on the calendar and, and we made it happen. So thanks for doing that and being intentional. With it.
0: Um, I know I will be down there. Um, I'm looking right now at my calendar because everything goes through my calendar. If I don't have this, I'm lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will sure. be down there in the middle of October. I will definitely hit you up. I think I'm there the 20, 20th through the 28th so Perfect. i will i will hit Did you up time to be
1: in arizona yes oh yes. sounds good lambo thanks so much
0: all right buddy talk to you then aaron thank you for coming on um an hour of your time and made it for an awesome show um apologize again for uh not calling the thunderbirds the right the right name but uh um thank you for correcting me on that one and an awesome story of of how that came apart and or came along and and I didn't want to dig too far into the the other missions some I know some military they don't like talking about the missions so and that's not really the point of the show I didn't want to dig too deep into that but it was more the more the stories more the stories and the memories and and kind of how the the steps went from the time we received that high school diploma we had the our celebration that night, and then that was the last time we saw each other. So, um, definitely looking forward to seeing you in October. And and uh, again, thank you for coming on. Um, please hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. Go to the One Pack Two Pack Baseball Card Podcast. Do the same as well as Wednesday's release for the Hot Cast One Radio Podcast. I am your host, El Lambo, Kevin Lammerding. This is a little extra Lambo podcast. Peace.